pray. Teach us to pray. They wanted to know, how, how do I enter into this type of relationship with the Father that they have witnessed Jesus having purely in prayer? So if you're like me, you're asking a similar question the disciples uh, asked Jesus and Luther's barber asked him, how do I pray? How do I do it? Well, Jesus obviously helps us here with what has commonly been called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, But as I heard one pastor say, he said it would be better to call it the model prayer. Since it isn't a prayer that Jesus would necessarily need to pray, since Jesus doesn't need sins forgiven. He, He wouldn't be praying that part of the prayer. But it is one that we must pray as broken human beings. Because this is a lesson that teaches us not only what we must be praying, but why we should be praying in the first place. What is the point of prayer? Because prayer, I would, I would guess, is something that you've seen primarily as a way to get things from God. So we pray for healing from sickness. We pray for financial provision. We pray for safe travel and blessed food and an A on your exams and favor at work, and the list goes on and on. We go to God for these things and ask of Him of these things. And so you struggle with prayer, or you struggle to pray, because this is all you see prayer as. And so you get discouraged because uh, God doesn't heal. He doesn't provide. You fail the exam. You get fired from the job. You wait and wait and wait for the answer you want, and it never comes. And so we pray wrongly because we we, we misunderstand what prayer is actually for. In verse 7, Jesus even hints at a wrong way to pray. He says right there at the beginning of, teaching his disciples that, yes, there is a wrong way to pray. Don't pray like the Gentiles who babble on senselessly. Why? Verse 8, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So this doesn't mean you, you don't pray because God already knows what you need. I know that's a common uh, problem and struggle that some of us has. But what this means is you don't need to pray in such a way as if you are having to manipulate or persuade a reluctant father with repetitive phrases and fancy language. What it does mean is that you pray with a different mindset. Because you are going before a father who knows exactly what you need. Which means... The Father won't give you what you don't need, and He will never not supply you with what you do need. Because He's a good Father. And this is what a loving earthly father does as well. I know what my kids need before they even ask me at times. Food and clothing and money and all sorts of other things that I know that they need, and and I know that I'm already going to provide those things for them. Now, they they might want specific food or specific clothing or a certain amount of money that I don't give to them, 
but I still know what they need, and they know that I know that. So what Jesus wants you to see is most important in your prayer life is how it draws you closer to the Father. So it doesn't mean we don't go to him with requests. It means when we do go to him with requests, the most important aspect of it is our relationship with him, not the answer we want from him. And if we get that wrong, we get prayer wrong. So I framed this prayer. There's six petitions in this prayer, or six or seven, depending on who you are, but six petitions in, in this prayer. And I, so I framed this prayer around the, the, the Father in three ways so that we could see that this, this prayer is about drawing us closer to the Father. And so all three of these pillars are, are meant to draw us further up and further in with the Father in prayer. So first is the Father's glory. And verses 9 through 10. The second is the Father's provision in verse 11. And then third is the Father's forgiveness. The Father's glory, the Father's provision, and the Father's forgiveness. So first, the Father's glory. So four, I, th- I think I mentioned this last week, but four times uh, out of the 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that Jesus talks about the Father, four of those times uh, that he uses that phrase are found right here in in the Lord's Prayer. And it's here in verse 9 that he tells us this is how we are to address God in prayer. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now the only way, because a lot of us still, I refer to God as the Father all the time, so maybe you're just used to me saying that on Sundays, or maybe that's how you commonly pray to God as the Father, and I'm glad that you do. But During the first century, that was not the way that you referred to God. Just so you can kind of wrap your minds about how serious that is, that we can call God Father. They did not refer to God in that way. So Jesus saying to them, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven was radical. Was completely against the grain of the first century Jewish culture. In the Old Testament... People did not call God Father. They had, the children of Israel had many different names for God, but rarely did they ever address God as Father. And never, when they addressed Him as Father, in those rare occasions, was it in a personal sense. It was never, nev- never my Father in heaven. It was always collective. So when we call God Father, we are addressing Him in Christ's name, meaning that the only reason that we can address God as the Father or my Father or as our Father is because Christ has enabled us to do so. That is Jesus who makes us children of the Father. John chapter 1 verse 12, to all who believe in his only Son, God the Father has given the great distinction and great privilege of becoming children of God. And so if we, want, if we want to enter into this relationship with the Father like Jesus, we have to understand that His relationship to the Father is significant to His prayer life. It is never divorced from Jesus' prayer life. For, for Jesus, everything 
flowed from his communion with the Father. Everything. So John chapter 5, just to, 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 to go back on that, what uh, Catherine read for us earlier, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So if Jesus, God incarnate, if Jesus is dependent upon the Father, then we too must be dependent on him as well. The prayer then is learning to enjoy, first and foremost, what Jesus has always enjoyed, and that is communion with the Father. And we must get this right first when we approach prayer, because, because to know that prayer is first and foremost communion with, uh, with the Father, or communion between the Father and His child, protects you from thinking of prayer as a ladder to God. That if I, if I pray in this way, uh, or pray enough, then I will eventually have God's favor. The Father will eventually look on me in love. It protects you from, from using prayer as an exercise by which you work your way into His favor. That's not what prayer is for. And it also protects you from just bringing your laundry list of requests to Him. Maybe that's how you are. Maybe you have this long list that you want God to hear and you want God to answer in the exact way that you have it written out in your prayer journal. So the first step in prayer to, 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 help, to help us avoid this is to acknowledge the Father's glory. And one way to begin to do this in your prayer time is through what's called adoration. So this, is, this adoration is simply acknowledging what is true about your Heavenly Father that is worth your honor and praise. That's what adoration is. So this means if you, if you are going to adore God, if you are going to bring God glory, if you are going to restate what is true in your own words in, in prayer so that your mind is, is focused on the Father and what prayer is about, which is God's glory, the, the only way that you can do that is if you are a person that is in uh, God's word on a regular basis. Because if I can just tell you a direct correlation. If your prayer life is not good, if your prayer life is terrible, and you just don't know what to pray, there's a pretty good chance I could just point back to say, how often are you reading and studying and meditating upon God's word. Because if, you're, if you don't know what to pray, it's probably because you don't have the words to pray, and the words to pray come out of the Bible. So this, this means you have to be in God's word in order to see these things about God, in order to see what he is worthy of. So next time you're reading your Bible, I want you to pay attention to how the passage you are reading shows God as worthy of adoration. So make sure your, your mind is, is keen to that as you get in the Bible maybe later today or in the morning. And then I want you to write out, if you're a journaler like me, write out a prayer, a prayer of adoration to God that is from your heart. 
reminding yourself of who God is. Who is this God that I am praying to? Who is this God that is, that is worthy of my praise? And the scriptures teach you that. We can very easily do that here with the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. And you can stop there to adore your Father in heaven, to recognize that, that, you, that God is your Father, that you are His son or daughter, that His place in heaven is not uh, us just kind of uh, putting God up in a box and saying, that's where, that's where you remain. When Jesus talks about uh, our Father in heaven, He is not just locating God. That, that phrase actually means that God is over all of creation. Because he is in the heavens. And we can praise him for that. We can adore God for that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, recognizes that God is thoroughly holy. So much so that his name is even holy. That there is no other name under heaven or on earth that is worthy like God's name is. And then your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Recognizes that God's kingdom and God's will are what is best for you and best for your neighbor. And so we pray that God's kingdom would come. We pray that his will, not ours, would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you begin to pray like this, it sets your heart in the right direction. Because if you're not praying about things that bring God glory, prayer doesn't work. You'll be frustrated. So a good question to ask yourself when praying or when asking for prayer is, is does this prayer or does this request that I am asking for prayer about have anything to do with God's glory, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will? And if so, if you can say, yes, I think it does, then ask how. How, how will this bring God glory? This will then begin to focus you on, on who God is, and what prayer is about, which is ultimately God's glory, before jumping into asking of Him. Because God does want you to come to Him with your request. The Father longs to provide for His children. Jesus even tells you in verse 11 to pray for the Father's provision. So first, verse 11 is the first of the other three petitions in which we, we ask God for the things which preserve us and provide for us. And so this, this phrase, give us this day our daily bread, is talking about food, but it's also a much broader category of God providing for all of our needs every single day of our life. And so as you hear those words read, you may think in your mind about Exodus 16 when God's people are wandering in the wilderness with nothing with them and God provides bread for his people in the wilderness. It literally falls from the sky. 
and he gives them exactly what they need every single day. Or, or you might think of Satan's temptation, one of Satan's temptations of Jesus when he, is, when he goes into the wilderness after he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan tempts him to say, you can turn these stones into bread. Or when Jesus feeds the thousands with bread and fish. Or as we're reminded each week as we, as we come to the communion table that the bread represents the body of Christ broken for us. Or when Jesus says of himself, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And that's in the, the spiritual sense, but that's also in the physical sense as well. And then later in the sermon, you'll see in chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, we'll, we'll hear Jesus expound on this idea to his disciples to seek first the kingdom. First and foremost, don't seek out your food, don't seek out your, your drink, don't seek out these things, these, what, you, what you're going to wear, or anything like that. Do not worry about those things, Jesus tells his disciples. And then encouraging them to ask for their needs to be met by their heavenly Father, who only gives good things to those who ask him. Chapter 7, verse 11. So this petition gives us a prime example of the Father already knowing what you need even before you ask. Most of you in this room, I would say, looking around, all of you in this room are not worried about where your next meal will come from. Your pantry and your refrigerator uh, is full of food that will last for the week or even longer if you're a prepper. So why do we still need to pray this prayer? If that's the case, if, if, if my uh, bread is al already provided for me for the, for the next couple of weeks because I just went grocery shopping yesterday, why do I still need to pray for God's provision? Well, it's simply to remind you where that daily provision comes from. As modern people, uh, we, we like to think that we've out-scienced God, or that we, we've, we've out-innovated God. So we, we have, uh, we've, we've invented all of these things where we can, we can actually uh, make food out of, out of chemicals, and so we don't need to necessarily grow food anymore, which is really weird and kind of gross. Uh, but we have, we've innovated. We, this is science, or, or even with our money, we can invest it. And we can watch this money grow really without us doing a whole lot of work. And so it just grows and grows and we, we can be millionaires when we retire. And so we think we've out-scienced or out-innovated the God of the universe. That somehow that we have advanced so significantly that we no longer need him to provide for us. That was the dark ages when food was scarce. When we had a farm for our own food or we didn't have... The, uh, banks to keep our money in and do all sorts of things. And so we don't think we have to pray for God to provide anymore. And this is simply wrong. And it's really just bad theology. Because let me just say this. Whether, whether, you, whether you believe it or not, 
you will not eat your next meal, which for most of you will take place right after this service. You will not eat your next meal without God providing it for you. You will not receive that next paycheck this week without God providing it for you. The point of me saying that is that it all depends on Him. Even if your pantry is well stocked, even if your bank account is full, it still all depends on Him. Everything comes from Him. He is providing for you, and the minute that He stops providing for you, you have nothing. So instead of asking God to, to, to bless the food you are about to eat, which, which is such a funny, strange prayer that we pray, um, that we ask God to bless the food. So instead of, instead of asking God to, to, to bless the food you are about to eat, acknowledge the fact that if God did not give, you would not be eating that meal you were about to receive. This request then reminds us in a very practical way that we are always, and three times a day at least, we probably eat way more than that, but three times a day at least, it is reminding us that we are always utterly dependent upon God for everything, day by day, moment by moment. That never ceases to be true, no matter how much you have or how little you have. God is always providing for you. And this includes our daily needs, but it also includes our needed forgiveness as well. In verses 12 through 15, the fifth and sixth petitions of the prayer combine to remind us of our need for the Father's forgiveness. Verse 12. Jesus says to pray like this, Forgive me as I have forgiven others. And then in verse 13, well, and even just to say a quick comment on that, that, that is not a, a prayer that we can just kind of gloss over and take lightly. Because if you're not forgiving others, Jesus is saying there, if you're, if you're just kind of like, nah, you know, whatever, I'll just let that pass. We won't, I won't engage in the hard work of going into forgiving people. I was talking to Lance earlier about cancel culture. Yeah, or he was bringing something up to me about it and just how that uh, negates forgiveness. And so we just say, I'll just cancel that person in my life and I don't need to forgive them. But Jesus is saying, if you don't forgive, the Father will not forgive you. That's huge. And then in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this part of the prayer reminds us of our great need. That we are sinners in need of forgiveness. That we, are, that we are broken individuals in need of God's constant intervention. As the hymn writer uh, Robert Robinson recognized in his well-known hymn, Come Thou Fount, he wrote these words, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Because we are all prone to wander. Whether you feel it or not. 
We are all prone to leave the God that we love. And so our prayer needs to be, God, take and seal our hearts to heaven. Seal our hearts to the Father's love. And this is essentially what Jesus is telling us to pray for here. Because true intimacy from the Father or with the Father can only happen when your sins are forgiven and you are cleansed of all unrighteousness. Jesus says this will be true in your personal relationships uh, as well as your relationship with the Father. All of this is tied together, Jesus says. As one writer said, he said, he wrote, There is no serious prayer for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. There's no serious prayer for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. And the only way we have this forgiveness from the Father and can also offer it to others is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we can do that. And he's currently teaching us how to pray this. He is saying this is how it's done. So what Jesus is ultimately doing here for us throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, but here specifically in, um, in, in the Lord's Prayer, is that he is continuing to dig us out of external-focused religion. If I can just do these things and be a good person, then I'll be accepted by the Father. And Jesus is saying no. Because Jesus wants us to experience a greater, deeper righteousness. Jesus is, is, is kind of pushing us to go, uh, I think C.S. Lewis is the one who says this, to go further up and further in with the Father. And it's only in Christ that we can come so boldly to our Father in prayer. Now, you may have noticed in... Uh, the version of the Lord's Prayer that we pray, and I almost said it here because I'm so used to saying it when I was reading the, reading the passage, but we, we conclude um, with, the, with the prayer that we say with these words, for thine, which thine is just another word for yours, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We say that, and we say this because those words remind us who we are praying to and why we are able to be bold in our asking and confident in our receiving. Because we have a Father who uh, has a kingdom that belongs to Him, has a power that is, that is above every other power of this world, and has a glory that is never going away, that is for us here now on this earth, but also into eternity. And that's why we can be bold in prayer. Let me just read to you, um, to perk your interest in this little book, a quote, just to close with this quote, and also just to perk your interest. It's only 46 pages long. That's nothing. You can do that. But just to perk your interest with, with what um, Michael Reeves says here about prayer. He says this. He says, Prayer, then, is enjoying the care of a powerful father. Instead of being left to a frightening loneliness where everything is all down to you, prayer is the antithesis of self-dependence. It is our no to independence and our no to personal ambition. It is the exercise of faith that you need God and are a needy receiver. Amen. Let me pray for us.
dear Father in heaven, we praise you that we can call you our Father. We praise you that you are not uh, like any other earthly father in this world because you are so faithful and so powerful. Your kingdom is never ending. And then on top of that, you have adopted those of us who are in Christ. You have adopted us into your family and made us uh, sons and daughters and heirs of this kingdom. God, help us to, as, as your people, to live in that reality, to know that we, we don't pray to uh, just some empty deity uh, and hope that it hears us, but that we pray to a Father in heaven who bends his ear to us through his children and answers us according to his good and loving will toward us. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen.